I start each day with two of the most important things in my life. First is my King James Bible. Second is my cup of coffee. Having coffee that early in the morning allows me to spend quality time in my studies. Proverbs 22 verse 9 tells us, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Let me introduce you to free lunch coffee. They are on a mission to end hunger from the lives of young children, thus following a godly principle of giving food to the poor. When you buy one bag of free lunch coffee, you are providing 10 meals to children in need. And free lunch coffee gives away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of these young children. How cool is that? They also have some amazing custom-made mugs and tumblers, each mug providing 10 meals and tumbler providing 20 meals to children in need. Beyond this fantastic cause, Free Lunch Coffee has great coffee that is specialty grade, certified organic, and fair trade. They offer a 100% money-back guarantee for 30 days. If you don't absolutely love their coffee, they will give you a full refund. And you can keep the coffee. You have nothing to lose. Free Lunch Coffee is offering a 10% discount to the loyal listeners of this podcast. So use coupon code ILOVEJESUS at checkout. So go to their website, check it out at freelunchcoffee.com. Thank you again for joining us here at Higher Ground KJV Bible Study. Today's episode, we are going to look at three more articles of Christian treasury written in the mid-1800s. Our first article is entitled, The Work of a Year, Little by Little. All great and lasting impressions ordinarily are made, and the mightiest results are accomplished little by little. Above all, habit, which is the strongest thing in nature and which forms a second nature, is thus produced. As the largest cable is formed out of strands so small that a child may snap them asunder, yet all put together the strain of the largest ship may not break them. So it is with the formation of character and the fixtures of our habits for time and eternity. They are completed, according to that phrase in the word of God, by here a little and there a little. So it is in the invisible growth of all things, gradual and imperceptible, yet constant and sure. 
so it is in all the process of nature. Mighty and sudden changes are not the rule, but gradual and prepared ones. The seasons and the months melt quietly and imperceptibly into one another. The day fades softly and silently into the night, and the night retires just as gradually from the stealing steps of day. The most beautiful process of creation are gradual, and so are the works of grace. And the beginnings of some of the mightiest works are so small and from such minute apparent causes that sometimes it is difficult to believe that any work at all or permanence is possible. Yet the work goes on. The seed cast into the heart may be smaller, more imperceptible than any of the seed ever dropped into the earth for the harvest. And how it germinates, or when, you may not be able to see, yet it grows. Just as the husbandman casts his seed into the ground and goes his way, and it groweth, while he is waking and sleeping, he knoweth not how, and first comes forth the tender blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Also the kingdom of heaven is as leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened, almost invisible and indistinguishable at any one moment. Yet the work is mighty in the end. It is by little and little that every man's character is formed. Most persons' quality character is made of little sins. They may be scarcely noticed at the time, but a constant succession of them makes a great weight. Whether impulses or actions, the succession of them uninterrupted for years may make habits as unchangeable as the skins of the Ethiopian, spots as unremovable as the spots of the leopard. Most persons' Christian character, too, is made up of little things. The Christian spirit must enter into all things, and then all things become great in the light of heaven. But the Christian character may be almost spoiled by little sins, or what are called such. If our consciousness were tender and wakeful, and our hearts filled with love to our Savior, no sin would seem a little sin. How much meaning there is in that exclamation of Wesley's. I want a sensibility to sin, a pain to feel it near. Sensibility to sin is what we very much want, especially in a time of worldly conformity so great as the present. Little sins, whether of omissions or commissions, made sad havoc with a man's piety. If a man is heedless in regard to them, he cannot walk closely with God, nor have peace of conscience, nor the comforting presence of the Savior. They render fervent prayer impossible. Watchfulness against sin of every kind constitutes a part of that faithfulness which the Lord Jesus inculcates. 
when he commands us to be sober and watch unto prayer. Christians must watch against little sins in conduct and conversation, in their temper and disposition and daily deportment, for if they give away to little evils daily, there is a great amount of sin unnoticed and unrepented of upon the conscience, but which grieves the Spirit of God and prevents all filial access to the mercy seat. The conscience of some persons is like a carpet never swept, into which the particles of sand and coal are ground and trodden till the texture is all worn away. Almost every important thing depends upon little things often repeated. Any great change of character taking place in one day is not frequent. There is preparation for it in many things, many influences. Ordinarily, the particular impression which our days make, the seal which they leave upon us, for evil or for good, is scarcely noticed, scarcely to be measured, and yet, in the end, their work with us is great and eternal. 365 days in a year. Every day comes down a blow from the hammer of time upon the anvil of circumstances for the forming of character. Sometimes the blows are stronger, sometimes weaker, but not one of them alone does the work. 365 days. Not one of them but might have been dropped out, and no great change of character have been the result, yet all of them important, all of them contributing to the character of the year. There may have been particular days that, by reason of some peculiar visitation from God, have been so marked as never to be forgotten, and so filled with the impression and power by His Word his providence, or his grace, as almost to govern all the rest of the year. This may have been the case with some particular Sabbath, but ordinarily one day is much like another, one Sabbath like the rest and alas. With very many persons, the Sabbath is very like the week. The sun ariseth, and the sun goeth down. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. The thing that hath been done, it is that shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. But when the year is gone, a great mark has been made. A great journey has been traveled. A great record has been written for the judgment. A great confirmation has been made of signs and anticipations in regard to a man's career and character one way or another. And yet it may seem as if the absence of any one day would have been made no difference. It seems a very little thing to live near to God one day, It is a very great thing, but still to do it for one day does not seem so great a task, 
Not so great a thing, but that the Christian, by the help of God, may easily accomplish it for one day. But if this little thing were accomplished every day, every one day in the year, then the whole would be infinitely glorious. On the other hand, to a man forgetful of God, it seems but a very little evil which is wrought with the character in one day, perhaps none at all, if there be no marked crime. A man does not ordinarily feel worse today than he did yesterday. There is no self-recording logbook in the conscience or calculation of the latitude and longitude or moral barometer to tell him what the weather is or how far he has gone. And yet, he has gone on. He may have gone but a little farther. Nevertheless, a certain number of those imperceptible advancements brought him to his destiny both of character and retribution for eternity. All the steps successfully that lead either to heaven or hell are small, one by one, except in great crimes, and even then there has been a gradual preparation for them, a great many observed steps toward them, or, on the contrary, side towards heaven, the steps are small, one by one, except in the great interposition of the Holy Spirit in the work of conversion, in the great first turning of the soul towards God. And even there also, there have been a great many steps on the part, both of God and man, unheeded, unknown at present in their bearing and influence. All the successive steps in the way, either to heaven or hell, are small, one by one, yet in the aggregate, how mighty is the journey. Every separate step, however small, takes a vast meaning and importance from the character that directed it, and again reacts for the strengthening and confirming of character. Everything, moral and physical, is an aggregate of minor things. All the steps between two distant cities are small, one by one, but the journey is a great thing. All the revolutions made by the wheels of a great steamer are small, one by one, but the motion is mighty and the progress great. All the coral insects of the sea are helpless and almost invisible, one by one. Yet the aggregate of their individual work and deposit may construct islands and continents that shall rise from the ocean to remain till the globe perishes. All the evaporations from the sea and the land in particles of moisture, insensible one by one, that the streams that water the earth, the sounding cataracts and mighty rivers are sustained by the process. All the thoughts, words, and actions of a man may be minute and commonplace, undistinguished each by each, for anything remarkably good or remarkably evil, and yet the result is character for eternity. 
besides any one of these thoughts, words, or actions may have led to results of eternal and immeasurable consequences for good or evil. What is more commonplace than vain and wandering thoughts? Yet a vain or wanton thought indulged may, by itself alone, ruin the soul and ruin other souls. What is more commonplace than idle words? Yet one idle word falling into a prepared place may do a world of mischief, just as a single spark falling on a train of gunpowder may blow up a fortress and destroy thousands. The greatest actions, both of good and evil, have begun, and thoughts, sometimes random thoughts, a thousand such may come and go so idly that you cannot trace them, but at length one among a thousand is persuaded, and not only comes from the heart, but afterward leads and governs both heart and life permanently. Or it is dropped in a casual remark, and being received as a germ in some other mind takes root and produces vast results for time and eternity. A little spring lost among the marshes, a strain of poetry has said is a little and helpless thing. But if some kind and careful hand under a benevolent impulse recovers it, walls it in, and hangs a ladle at the brim, thousands of thirsty wayfarers may be refreshed by it and even some dying life may be saved. Thus it is that consequences of infinite moment may depend on what we call little things, so that there is no safety for us except in having all our little things, as well as great ones under the care of our Heavenly Father. We must put them at His disposal, seek His guidance in all things, seek him in constant prayer, and never be without God in the world. We must have an eye single to his approbation, and whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, endeavor so to arrange all things as shall be for his glory. This is truly the only safe way. For God's providence acts in little things as well as great. And if we are cooperating with him, he will cause all things to turn out well. And besides guiding our successions of little things into great and blessed whole, he will often invest single little things with influences and attend them with consequences of great glory. Article number two, 12 questions for members of Christian churches. Number one, why am I a member of this church? Is it because I honor God's institutions, love Christ, and wish to serve him here below by coming out from the world, joining his people and supporting his cause? Or is it for the sake of company, respectability, and fashion? Or because some minister urged me to become a member? Number two, am I a true Christian? 
What evidence have I of this? Have I repented of sin and become born again? Do I really believe on Christ? Do I hate sin, love Christ, his people, and cause? Have I chosen God for my portion? Do I desire to be made holy? Have I the witness within that I have passed from death unto life? Number three, as a member, what am I doing in this church? Anything or nothing? Do I realize my covenant obligations? I have pledged myself to this church. Do I meet with them regularly on Lord's Day for worship? Attend the week evening services, prayer meetings, etc.? Do I feel that I have a duty to perform, a trust committed to me by God, and for which he will call me to an account? Number four, what are my views of membership? What view do I take of the church? Do I regard it as a human invention or a divine institution from heaven or of men? Do I treat it as the Lord's house or as my own? In the church, do I consider myself as under the law to God or to do as I please? What does my conduct say? Is there that reverence, that deference, that consistency which right views of the church should inspire? Did I enter it to please myself or others? or to serve God? Do I view the church of Christ as the purchase of blood and therefore sacred to God? Number five, what is my conduct toward my brethren? Do I love them, feel interested in them, help them? If in my power do I visit them when sick and comfort them, when wandering, do I endeavor to reclaim them? Do I reprove them in the spirit of meekness and not suffer sin upon them? Or do I only find fault with them to others and thus make a bad matter worse? Do I break the laws of God and inquire them by raising them up enemies at every corner? And thus help the devil to pull down Zion while I profess to be building it up? O oh, my soul, come not thou into this secret, and mine honor to this assembly, be not thou united. Number six, do I love my pastor as I ought? Do I help him, or am I a burden to him? Do I respect him or despise him? Do I follow up the word preached by serious conversation and prayer, or do I injure his youth usefulness and destroy his influence by finding fault with him and his preaching, and by making others as discontented as myself? Is my conduct towards him courteous, kind, and lovely? Or do I mistake impudence for honesty, and wound, inflict, and grieve his sensitive mind? Number seven, do I pray for my minister as I ought? 
He preaches, reads, studies, lives, labors, and prays for me. Do I pray for him? Some people find fault with our minister, but I fear never pray for him as they ought. Is this my case? Do I pray for him not only in the prayer meeting, but in private frequently? Do I plead for him constantly before I go to hear while hearing and after the sermon is done? Or has my minister to make the complaint of the old minister who said he had lost his prayer books? Paul laid much stress upon the prayers of the brethren. I have heard our minister say what a great support the prayers of the church are. O my soul, forget not to pray for all the ministers of the cross, but more especially for thine own. Number eight. Do I help support my minister as I ought? Christ has ordained that they who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Not linger, but live. Our minister studies all the year for the upbuilding of our church and to feed our souls. Are the temporal wants of him and his family supplied? Are they fed, clothed, and housed as comfortably as they ought to be? How is this done? Did I bear my share cheerfully, punctually, conscientiously, without bluster, parade, or talk? If not, can I prosper? Will God approve? Will this do to die by? Number nine. Am I a laborer in God's vineyard or a loiterer? Is my talent laid up in a napkin or laid out to the best advantage of, for Christ? How shall I regard my present course upon my dying pillow? Shall I have one to die upon? Number 10. Am I growing in grace? My privileges are great. Do I improve them? Do I love God more, Christ more, Christians more? Sinners more? Is my faith stronger, hope brighter, humility deeper, charity broader, and principles more fixed? Do my hatred to sin and love to holiness increase? Is my spiritual vision clearer? Are my evidences growing brighter and brighter? Number 11. Do I live under the impression that I am responsible to God for time, talent, property, and the improvement of opportunities of usefulness? Upon all these do I see the motto written, Ye are responsible to me. Number 12. Am I prepared to die? I am in a world of probation, trial, and duty. Should God call me at once to his bar, am I prepared? Is my work done? Are my accounts straight? Should I receive the applauding welcome? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over all things. 
enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Mm-hmm.